home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Greetings and salutations, and thanks for tuning in to another installment of the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. My name is Doug, and today I'm going to play a little catch-up because it has been a while since the last episode. So, let's begin with a little housekeeping. In the last episode, I was talking about how home improvements take longer in real life than it appears they do on TV. And I cited as an example those room makeover shows that were so popular in the first decade of the century. And I recalled our own while-you-were-out experience in revamping our daughter's bedroom while she was away for a week. What I said was that it took us about a week to do everything from cleaning up the mess to replacing the sliding closet doors with bifold doors and assembling new furniture to help keep her organized. But I made a point of saying that it took us a week to do all that and we did not even paint. Well, in organizing some paints in the basement, I came across a can with her room color that I had labeled with the year 2017. We moved into this house in 2016. I painted the bedrooms when we first moved in. So, did I make a mistake when I labeled the can? Or did we change the color? I didn't know. I honestly couldn't remember painting the room. I looked through pictures that we took at the time, and I still couldn't find a definite answer. So, I ended up asking our daughter what she was able to remember, and apparently we did give the room a refresh. We didn't change the color, we just gave it a fresh coat of paint, the same color. So, mystery solved. But that means that I was wrong in the last episode when I said that we didn't paint the room. Although, a coat of paint would only account for one day out of that week. However, it does go back to my main point of that podcast, which is, it doesn't matter. If a project takes a day or a week or a month, the length of time that a project takes doesn't matter as much as how well that project is done. It's all about the design and workmanship. Sort of on that same topic, an ad popped up on my Facebook feed for a company that makes drywall lifts. Okay, the video in the ad was demonstrating a vertical lift. The drywaller moved the lift up to a wall, cranked the handle, elevating the sheet that was probably 10 feet or 12 feet long, Elevating that sheet vertically until it met the top, until the top edge of that sheet met the ceiling. And then he was able to tweak it so it was a perfectly tight fit. The drywaller in that video was Myron Ferguson. Perhaps you've seen his book, Drywall Professional Techniques for Great Results. He's also Fine Home Building Magazine's go to guy on the subject of drywall. So you could say that he knows a thing or two about drywall. Well, that did not stop the negative comments. He obviously doesn't know what he's doing by hanging the upper sheet first. It's easier to hang the bottom sheet first so you can rest the upper sheet on its edge and let gravity work for you. Of course, other experts weighed in saying that the upper sheet goes first for a tight fit against the ceiling. If the wall, floor, or ceiling are out of whack, you want the perfect fit against the ceiling, which is something you're going to see. The lower sheet doesn't have to be a perfect fit against the floor because the bottom edge is going to be hidden by the baseboard molding. 
Someone else said his kid could hang drywall faster, that the demonstrator was a hack. The advertiser jumped in on defense, pointing out that Myron Ferguson literally wrote the book on drywall. Another comment pointed out that the book was a joke, because no professional drywaller would ever get down on their knees. Myron is kneeling in the cover photo. And then there was a whole debate on whether it was better to hang a full sheet of drywall over a window and cut the window out, or to hang smaller pieces around the window. For the record, full sheet over the window, cut the window out. But that's beside the point. And so it went on. Meanwhile, I'm looking at this drywall lift, thinking about how much easier it would be to hang drywall alone with such a contraption. It would certainly reduce injuries, even if it was slower. And I thought, does it matter whether someone gets down on their knees when they're doing drywall? Is anyone going to walk into a finished room and be able to tell whether the top sheet was hung first or the bottom sheet? Is anyone going to be able to tell whether two guys manhandled the sheetrock into place or one guy took more time by using a lift. The point is, none of this really matters. No matter how you do something, there will always be someone out there who's going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. And no matter how well you do something, there will always be someone claiming that they can do it better. As long as you satisfy the building code, and satisfy yourself and possibly satisfy a future buyer of your house, then who cares? Who cares? So, what have I been up to, you might ask? Uh, Not much, I might answer. I have finished the storage area in the basement, which accounts for about one quarter of that renovation. Well, not quite finished, but finished enough that I can at least start pulling stuff out of our storage unit. The drywall is done and painted and the subfloor is down, but I'll install the vinyl planks and trim at a later date when the budget allows. I have also been wrestling with the decision of whether or not to run some ethernet cable through the house while I have access before I start closing walls up. I won't bore you with all the details, but I can easily run the cable while the bathroom is gutted, since that's the only pathway I can use to get cable to the upper floors. But I wondered if running cable was really necessary, considering how everything these days is Wi-Fi. But there are advantages to hardwired connections. Our daughter does some online gaming, and a hardwired connection will reduce lag. Our TV watching is exclusively streaming. Again, a hardwired connection will be more reliable. And, of course, stuff we do online will be more secure with hardwired connections. But chances are, we still will do most of our stuff on Wi-Fi. So, is it really going to be worth the time and effort and hassle to run these cables if we can get away without them? Well, I decided that it is. Or at least it's worth doing now to avoid regret later. The kind of regret that comes from wishing we'd done something while we had the chance. So, 
that sort of puts things on hold for a little bit because it's going to cost me around $500 for supplies. <laughs> Stuff adds up. But if I'm going to go to the effort, I might as well run Cat 8 to be as future-proof as possible. And it, it, it ain't cheap. Also, I'm trying to get enough drywall up in the basement so that I can finish the electrical down there. And as I get closer to that milestone, I thought it would be a good idea to figure out exactly what breakers I'm going to need at the panel, since most of the circuits require arc fault protection. <clears throat> yeah, those breakers are like 80 bucks a piece. And I also don't want the panel to have a whole bunch of spare breakers that I can't use, so I'm going to be replacing the quad combination breakers that have standard 15-amp breakers mixed with double-pole breakers, which means I'm going to be buying some new double-pole breakers that I hadn't intended on replacing. So I actually sat down and priced all of this out, and I'm looking at about 560 Canadian with tax. I shouldn't be shocked by this. I knew the AFCI breakers were expensive. I knew how much they were, and I knew that I was going to need a few of them. But for some reason, I didn't do the math to figure out how much I was going to have to spend. Back in the good old days when you could use them, standard 15-amp breakers were about $15. I guess in a way, that's where my mindset still was. So I've had to come to terms with the fact that I'm going to have all this money flying out the window this spring. And speaking of flying money, I noticed that the top row of bricks on our chimney are deteriorating some more. This is an issue that we were already aware of, but it's gotten worse this winter with the freeze-thaw. Fortunately, the chimney isn't used, it's capped, but it is something we're going to have to address. and. As I get older, working at heights is not for me, so I'll be calling in a mason to do that repair and inspect the cap and make sure everything is okay. So, there's another expense coming up. And this was the year that I was hoping to invest in a battery-powered lawnmower. Looks like I'll be firing up the gas mower for at least one more season. And speaking of firing things up, the forecast called for a significant amount of snow. So I thought I would be smart and get the snowblower ready. You see, my dad had a snowblower, and when he passed away, it became my snowblower. At the time, we were living in the money pit house and had a gravel driveway. Couldn't use the snowblower, so it sat in the basement. Now we live in a house with a concrete drive, and the snowblower has been stored in the shed. When we've gotten snow, it's just been easier for me to grab the shovel and clear the driveway the old-fashioned way. Too much effort to get the gas and oil necessary for the snowblower. Too much effort to drag the snowblower out of the shed. I could have the driveway cleared by hand in the time that it takes to do all of that. But with 14 inches of snow in the forecast and plenty of warning, I thought I'd be smart and get everything ready. It was finally that snowblower's time to shine. The day before, I bought oil. I bought a new jerry can. I bought gas. I was ready, except that the darn thing wouldn't start, and the blizzard was coming in less than 24 hours. Now, this is a fancy schmancy snowblower. It has an electric start, so it should be easy peasy, but 
that thing hasn't been run for close to 14 years. My dad's neighbor said that he drained the fuel for me when I was clearing out the house, but I'm not sure what else he did to get it ready for the off-season. And quite frankly, I'm not even sure how well it was running before that. All I know is that I've had this snowblower all this time, and when I finally get ready to use it, it's no good. I guess I'm going to have to take it somewhere and see if it's worth fixing, and even if it is, I'm not sure whether I'm going to keep it anyway. You can buy powerful cordless battery-operated snowblowers today that cost less than what my dad paid for this gas snowblower 19 years ago. With no worries of stale gas gumming things up if you don't drain it properly at the end of the season, because there's nothing to drain. Well, as it turned out, we did not get as much snow as was forecast, and I was able to stay on top of it while it was falling. It's easier to shovel two inches of snow three times than six inches of snow all at once. So I wouldn't have used the snowblower anyway, and certainly not at 4.30 in the morning when I cleared the driveway before going to work. Right around the time of that snowfall, we had another issue crop up in the house. I noticed that there was some water on the floor near the dishwasher. Now, this wasn't unusual. Plastic containers don't completely dry, so they will drip when you pull them out of the dishwasher. And the dishwasher is also next to the sink. I usually hand wash dishes. My wife is the only one who actually uses the dishwasher. So if I'm washing a bunch of dishes, chances are pretty good that I might splash some water on the floor. Again, not unusual for a small puddle on the floor. And we did have that snow. The spot I'm talking about is not too far from the front door, so someone may come in with wet shoes and it's not unusual to step into the kitchen. So I didn't think too much of it. Only it got worse. I grabbed some paper towel, I dried it up, but the puddle returned later. I mentioned it to my wife that this was going to be something we were going to have to examine more closely. A couple days pass, and she sends me a text message. I get a text message from her with a picture of this puddle by the dishwasher. And she said, yeah, it might be time to take a look at it. Well, I warned her. I said, remember when we had a bit of wet carpet in the basement, and that turned into a flood? What does our basement look like now? And remember when we had some condensation behind the vapor barrier in the basement that turned out to be caused by water leaking in the bathroom window? A leak that had rotted the framing? Uh, How did that work out for us? Because one thing led to another and that bathroom is now gutted. Here's what I was afraid of. That we start digging and open up another can of worms. I was, I mean, this was something we were going to have to look at. It was something I, we couldn't leave this, but I was just afraid of the can of worms that I was going to be opening up because I'm already dealing with the basement and the bathroom, and I don't want to add the kitchen to that list. What if I pull the dishwasher out and the water is coming from behind the cabinet or the wall? What kind of mess are we going to end up with in the kitchen? 
Harkening back to the bathroom window experience, we considered the possibility that this water was coming in from a leak from outside. I took a look outside, and sure enough, the plumbing vent stack comes out of the roof in that area. Well, there you go, I thought. It's obviously the boot around the vent. Those things will usually deteriorate after a few years. And they're a notorious cause of roof leaks. The snow has been melting, so it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the water is following the stack down to where there would be a bend, and then dripping off at that point behind the wall and running across the floor under the cabinet to where we could see it puddling. Eh, I know. Just saying it now, it, it was a long shot. But by gum, I felt smart for diagnosing the problem. I got the ladder out and brushed the snow away from the boot. What I could see looked okay, but I couldn't see around the other side of it, and I certainly wasn't even going to think about getting up on a snow-covered roof. But yeah, that had to be the problem. So I researched online. And there are a number of solutions for this very problem that don't involve replacing the whole shebang, you know, messing with the shingles and whatnot. One is simply adding a gasket over the one that has deteriorated. And that solution was presented by Tom Silva on the Ask This Old House. So it's definitely one worth considering. Another solution is a product called the Permaboot, which fits over the entire plumbing stack and is guaranteed for the life of the shingles. And at about $30, it isn't terribly expensive either. So I had these two possible solutions lined up for as soon as the weather cooperates. But figured that the Permaboot was going to be the way to go. So I watched YouTube video after YouTube video, basically researched the heck out of this thing. So I diagnosed the problem, I figured out the solution, and I was feeling pretty darn good about myself. I am too smart. I am too smart. I am too smart. I am too smart. S-M-R-T. I mean S-M-A-R-T. But still, I should really take that kick plate off the dishwasher and see just how much water is under there. I grabbed the flashlight, expecting to see mold all over the wall behind it. But that wasn't the case. In fact, the only water was at the front of the dishwasher. So I felt around to see where the water was coming from. (laughs) Then I grabbed the owner's manual out of the file cabinet to figure out what the part was. Water inlet valve. There was no roof leak. There was no need to replace the vent pipe flashing or install a permaboot. I mean, what are the odds that the water on the floor by the dishwasher was the result of a dishwasher leak? So, of course, I go back online, I research this repair, I find the part that I need, I order it, and it's a simple DIY fix. About 50 bucks. So, yeah, sure, $20 more than the permaboot, but and this is important, uh, the permaboot wouldn't have fixed my problem. So, that's a glimpse into my world. This is the stuff that I've been dealing with lately. What about you? What's going on in your world? Let me know by going to thumbandhammer.com slash contact and send me an email or record a voicemail. 
Or, I don't know, you could just leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode. I'd love to hear from you. And that's going to do it for this week. I will be back again in a couple weeks with another episode. Until then, cheers.